John, I can't tell you how excited I am about the Cinephile's new sponsor, an absolutely incredible game, Marvel Strike Force. Now, anyone who's listened to the show knows that I've been reading comic books since I was five years old, and this is like a comic book fan's dream come true. You could create a mobile squad and play as your favorite Marvel characters. I mean, everyone is there. The Punisher, Vision, Black Panther, Cap, or even my favorite Marvel character of all time, Daredevil. Your goal is to power up those characters, unlock gear, and use them to compete in player versus player mode, alliance mode, and real-time arena. Yes, Stephen, as we speak, they are enjoying their six-year anniversary. Six years, wow. And you know what that means? Free stuff just for signing up via their unique link in the description. The anniversary consists of weekly events and bonuses. If you complete each event, you can receive special rewards and skins. Completing every single mission throughout the entire anniversary will result in an even more special reward. Make sure to log in each day and each week to take advantage of all the new characters that are being released specifically for this event. This will be Marvel Strike Force's most generous event to date, so don't miss out, y'all. Check out that unique promo code, and for every new user, please follow our link in the description and use the promo code MAXPOOL. Once again, Thank you so much to Marvel Strike Force. We're very, very excited to have you sponsoring this episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the continuing series here on the Outlaw Nation called the Oscar Series, where me and my cinephiles co-host Steve Morris and I break down one nominee for best picture and so far we've done uh we did a co oh sorry we've done belfast and we did uh, uh dune and now we're into belfast basically we're focusing on the one word name uh best picture nominee steve it seems like starting off so uh how are you doing man how are you feeling on this sunday morning as we're recording this uh, I'm good, and I'm glad. I think having just single word titles is it, it, it eases us into the complexity of films to come. I'm oh, not sure which. Yeah. yeah, I'm not sure which movie has the most words and syllables, <laughs> but I, I'm assuming that we should do that last. I mean, it just seems to make sense. Yeah, yeah well, th- no, this no. is one of those years that we should be thankful that Birdman wasn't nominated with that extended <laughs> title that it had for sure. <laughs> You know, this is a coming-of-age film from writer-director Sean Hader. It's an English-language remake of a 2014 French film. Some people may not know that who are falling in love with the film may not know that it's a 2014. It's a remake of a 2014 uh, French film called La Familia Bellier. This one stars Emilia Jones uh, as Ruby Rossi, this um, uh, only hearing daughter of a deaf, of an entirely deaf family. Uh, it, they're called CODIS. That's why the, the title of the film is CODA child of deaf adults uh it's she struggles to balance her attempts to help her family struggling fishing business and her own life aspirations to become a singer and this one as we said stars amelia jones it also stars the great marley matlin certainly she's been in the news lately uh, for this film but also for her reactions to the uh, passing of william hurt uh troy kutsur who's been nominated here for the for wash pilo daniel durant and my personal favorite and love eugenio derbez is a part of this as well. Steve, I turn to you first here on this one. Give me your overall thoughts on this uh, phenomenal film that's been nominated for Best Picture. And as we go to uh, record this, last night it won the Producers Guild Award for Best Picture as well. So certainly building up steam during the awards season right now. Uh, my answer is real simple. I love this movie. Okay. I-, I loved it. I loved it top to bottom. And-, and what I think too, this is exactly the kind of a movie that we don't get anymore. 
Mm. which is it is a warm, heartfelt, moving, simple story about a unique family. It's about and it, it just it gets you in all the feels, you know, yeah, and yeah. Hollywood doesn't make this kind of movie anymore. And indie films generally don't do this because usually, you know, the independent cinema is about pushing the envelope and being edgy and difficult and artistic and tackling huge issues. And so this lovely family drama, it's, this is the kind of thing that we don't get to see. And I loved it really top to bottom. Yeah, I have to agree with you. I enjoyed it as well. I didn't know what to expect. And certainly some of my fellow uh, film critic brethren had seen it ahead of time at festivals. I think it premiered at Sundance. Yeah. And then um, it came on Apple TV. And I got the early notice because I'm hooked up with Apple TV. I got the early notice for the screener. And I sat down on a Saturday afternoon and was absolutely transfixed by this movie. It is, decept like Belfast, deceptively simple, but it is speaking about bigger issues, speaking yeah. about bigger uh, um, problems going on in the world, but also a universal story. I think hearing or deaf, this desire to want to do more, when you're called by an artistic sensibility, when you're called by a desire to achieve something in, a, in the artistic or creative world, it can be quite difficult for other people, especially your family who loves you, to deal with that calling, to deal with your desire to break away from the, uh, I don't know, from the connection to the family or break away from the standard stuff or the patterns that have gone on for generations within the family, it's very difficult to go and pursue what you want to do and what the sacrifices are that you're going to have to make in order to get there and the people you might have to hurt in order to get there who will hopefully get over it and understand that you are called to do something else. And certainly here with the fishing business, her being the only hearing member of the family, she has been working and, and kind of communicating with the other hearing people on the dock there who may not know sign language or haven't taken the time to learn sign language. So this is e even more so than a daughter leaving her family to go and pursue her dreams to become a singer or an artist. It's also possibly putting the family in danger of losing their business at a time when prices are being when the prices are being cut, when what they pay for the fish is lowering, when uh, the desire the it's becoming more and more cutthroat as people become more and more desperate in the dying fishing business to survive. Yeah, I I, I think what's so interesting is you know what just occurred to me is that you know we've been doing our our season of Spike Lee over on the Cinephiles. Yes, and yeah. there was a quote that I'd seen from him that I can't get right at all, but basically. He said something like, all stories are universal in that everybody can under all these experiences we have are universal, which is one statement. And then the contradictory statement is it's really important to hear from different perspectives about yeah. those universal stories. And I think this movie is a perfect example is that anyone who goes, well, I don't know. I'm not deaf. I don't understand this. Why would I want to watch this movie is missing the whole point. This is a completely universal story. Yeah. And yet it comes from a perspective and lets you into a world that you didn't know anything about maybe. And yet it is complete that the, the themes of following your dreams versus the responsibilities of your family versus growing up, this is your peer pressure and how you feel in terms of relationships and love and all of those things. They're all universal themes, but they're set in a world that is one that is new, at least for me in terms of cinema. Yeah. And we're starting to find, or we're starting to see, <clears throat> Excuse me. As we open the doors to more uh, over the last few years, as we've opened the doors to more films from uh, women, from people of color, uh, uh, we start to explore from LGBTQ plus perspectives. We start to explore other areas where we haven't seen a lot of representation in, in films. 
And certainly this is one of those areas, the areas, the deaf community having Coda come in as a strong film and with Marley Madeline attached, who kind of woke us up back in the 1980s with Children of a Lesser God to what this community goes through. We really get a a, um, ingrained into that uh, world. And it's not what we think. What I think is joyful about this movie is it not these aren't like the nicest people in the world who walk right. along skipping happily. No, Troy Kutsur is a pretty dirty, naughty guy, and their relationship is very sexually active, sexually promiscuous, which is great. That's how much they're in love with each other. And you want to cast this aspersion on the deaf community or the blind community that they're just like these people who are kind of really shattered or glass or fragile, but in fact, they're they're just like us. They just have one sense missing. And so th- I, I love that it was breaking these ideas or this preconceived notions of that community and showing you a fully fledged and fleshed out uh, uh, family with the uh, uh, characters that have multiple layers. Couldn't agree more. And the one of the things that it comes up, you know, in me as, as a filmmaking teacher and teaching screenwriting is that frequently young screenwriters, they have to write a thug or a scientist or a politician, and they just go to the box of cliches Right. And they pull out the cliche and go, oh, that's what this person is like. See, they are the thug yeah. instead of going like humans are humans. And and within whatever that thing is, this person should be completely 100 percent unique. This yeah. family is completely 100 percent unique. They feel yeah. like absolutely real people. They are, as you said, they are not perfect people. They're funny. They're inconsistent. They yeah. have blind spots. They have, I love like there's the scene in the doctor's office right at the beginning where she's translating and there's obviously a sexual issue going on with her parents (laughs) that she has to translate to the doctor. And it's really, really funny. And this is the thing too. And it's something that I saw first from Marley Matlin really in the, in the West Wing. Yeah. She's damn funny. Oh yeah. She is really, really funny. And you can tell that she, uh, that both her and Troy Katsur are having so much fun. Yeah. With these characters and this relationship and making this movie and that fun comes across and yeah. it's not that, but it's not that they're a perfect family, right? It's, it's not that they're not insensitive and, you know, hooked up into their own stuff. Yeah. They're real people. Yeah. And, and as such, they are scared that she is making a big mistake that their daughter Ruby played wonderfully by Amelia Jones. I think it's an, I think it's an incredible crime this season that she wasn't nominated. Yeah. Rachel Zegler wasn't nominated. And yes, I will admit, although I didn't like the movie, Alana Haim was good in that movie, Licorice Pizza. She should have been nominated. So to me, three young actresses from three different walks of life that could have been in the conversation more powerfully in the Oscars for being not uh, for earning nominations. And she's incredible. The whole movie works because of the journey that she goes on, the frustrations yeah. she feels. You know, we have Turning Red that came out. We've got Ms. Marvel coming. Young girls are becoming the main characters in a lot of these films that the audiences are gravitating to or enjoying or connecting to. And we're seeing, speak of new perspectives, we're seeing the world through their eyes more consistently in different types of uh, films and TV shows. And that's a great thing. And certainly her process as she goes through this kind of you know slowly being frustrated with the situation of being depended on so heavily by her family to be the connective tissue here and then deciding well how, it's almost the George Bailey conversation how exactly. much am I sacrificing for my family versus me going out into the world and wanting to do what I want to do you know I don't want to, I don't want plastics I, I want to get out there and so you see that with her through the process and it's not easy and she gets into fights with the parents and her parents aren't necessarily 
the initially the people who want her to go and do this they actually want to stop her from doing this because they're afraid uh, themselves of transitioning of moving on of uh, moving into a new phase in their relationships and in their lives and i love that that's real steve that would actually happen it's absolutely not, it's, as you said it's not a a, a film a, i don't know a cookie cutter film or a lifetime movie this is real and people are scared and people get worried about money and what have you and so their desperation to hold on to their daughter uh, I think is so connectable and then seeing their process as they slowly let go and understand her power and embrace her power is beautiful to see in the movie. Well, well, this is what I mean by being a universal story told from a unique perspective, because like yeah. the theme of I have a dream and my family doesn't understand my dream or I have deep responsibilities like the movies like October Sky. There's movies oh, yeah. like yeah. like uh, is it Billy Elliot with the yes. the kid that wants yeah. to dance and like that? That is a, a consistent theme, yeah. but that doesn't make this story a cliche in any way. And one of the things I think that makes it so powerful yeah is that i mean you know mom and dad don't understand my dreams that's a that's a classic theme right mom and dad are literally incapable of hearing me sing oh yes great point steve that is like you know and and i'm not gonna i don't want to spoil it yeah. but to say that there is a scene in which i ugly sobbed yeah i mean just like shoulders bouncing up and down yeah. i couldn't look at the screen is an understatement there is a scene that and, and i was moved throughout most of the film but then yeah. you get to this one spot boom that was it for me yeah. you know and it's because of exactly this struggle of her parents can't this is this thing that she and, and we should say by the way yeah she can sing yeah she can you yeah. know i mean because that's always an issue in this kind of a film when you have the story that's building to hearing this character sing right well they have to deliver and she 100 yeah. does and ironically alana Haim and rachel zegler can also sing yet another reason it's true maybe been i want to just say one thing yeah, this is just because sure. you brought it up um which is i because i was thinking about turning red too right when we started and i was yeah. kind of like not going to bring it up but i'm glad that you did because we've seen that it got this weird reaction of yeah. how is this story for me right and which is just fucked up and stupid but we don't have to go we could do a cinephile short on that at some point but i'm down with that yeah but but um but what was interesting was, so we showed it to Jax, and yes. I was concerned, A, because are we going to have to discuss menstrual cycles, and are we going to oh, have yeah. to, which we did a little bit, and he kind of, you know, we he knew a little bit about that stuff. We told him right. a little bit more about that stuff. Right. But I, I was going, is he going to lock into this movie? And the answer is 100% he did. Not only did he lock into it, but it had deep meaning, I think, for him psychologically, even because the you know the monster within yeah that is a thing that my kid really that's real for him like yeah because yeah. he would say to me he has said to us well you know i'm part demon wow I mean, literally that's what my kid says to me Whoa. so when that got to that point of where we're sort of dealing with that and that's yeah. and they're going this is okay we all have this inside of us i saw it hit him emotionally yeah and this is the thing about universal stories but told from a different perspective is that yeah. they're just they can be so powerful and they can actually help us look at our own world in a way that maybe we couldn't have before yeah it's an excellent point steve absolutely and glad and, and i felt that way too watching turning red this that that i we've all got that thing inside yeah. of us, whether it's a whether it's a demon or a, a big red uh, panda or anything else we all got that thing inside of us that we're afraid of and we're ashamed of, but you got to come to terms with it and realize how to turn that into a power rather than yeah. something 
exactly. weigh yourself down about for sure. And certainly here, you know, you bring up an excellent point, her ability to sing, yet the parents can't hear. They can through the vibrations, but they right, can't right. really necessarily. And I don't know how the how a deaf person conceives of singing, but I imagine it can't 100% get the full scope of what she sounds like uh, and and what and what they connect to. So, but they but overall though, you see what she's able to do and how she's able to move them because of her desire, her will, her her need to uh, do this for her life, and eventually her parents' love uh, is there yeah. for her. And I do want to give a shout out to Eugenio Derbez, who I think is absolutely fantastic in this movie here. He is the, the music teacher who kind of guides her through this process and gives her so much. And she's he's not an easy music teacher. He is because he knows that she has the ability to achieve something really powerful. So he is like writing her and making sure that she is fully committed and understanding. And she kind of, he kind of goes above and beyond to make sure it's possible. And listen, as a Latino, watching a Latino music teacher like this, bringing this out, seeing the, the ease of Eugenio Derbez, who has decades of experience in this business, seeing him get a, a nice little role to play here in this movie was so much fun. What did you think of his character? And have you had teachers like this? Um, the, the answer, I mean, I haven't had exactly this teacher, but I've certainly had the teachers who told me that I, what I was doing wasn't good enough yes. and that I had to dig deep and do better. And it's funny. I'm not sure that I put him at quite this stature, but I think he's in the ballpark of the great teachers yeah. of Yoda and Mickey and Mr. Miyagi great and point. these people who are these fascinating characters that our heroes need to meet and yeah. ha- and be pushed and who are who and and the key to all three of those people and there are a bunch of other great teachers that we could probably list mm-hmm. is they don't respond in the way that you expect yeah yes is they are unexpected yeah. Yeah. is and he his sort of not it's not cruelty but it is harshness and lack Tough of work. yeah what yeah Tough work. yeah well I, I, he's not going to bullshit you you yeah. know exactly and, and and we live in a world with, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a liberal progressive guy, but we live in a world where there are a lot of hugs and there's not a lot of Vince Lombardi. Yeah. And there, we, you, I know you and I have talked about this a lot. Yeah. There are certain times in your life where you need a hug and you yeah. need support unconditionally. And there are other times in your life where you need someone to say, get up off your ass. Yeah. You know, I don't care I- if it hurts. I don't care if you're limping. I don't care what it is. You, you got to go do this thing now. Mm-hmm. Toughen up. And yep. And that's what this teacher does. If you want to achieve the things you want to achieve, it's not supposed to be easy. That's what yeah. makes it worth it to achieve it for sure. Uh, one last question for you, Steve. You're the, you know, as the director, you've directed feature films here. You've written feature films. Talk to me about the work that Sean Hader does as a director in this movie. I mean, a lot of people think right now that it might be Coda versus Power of the Dog, two female-directed films going at it for Best Picture. What did you think of Sean Hader's uh, uh, direction in this movie? Well, what I'll say first is that the the uh, the job of the director is very poorly defined. Is that because there are people that are you could be a director that is a screenwriter who's never been on a movie set, mm. doesn't know anything about a camera, has never talked to actors, and still end up being a great director. Right. You could be an actor who knows all about acting and knows all about that work but really doesn't know some of the technical aspects. You could be a yeah. cinematographer and knows all about cinematography, but doesn't, couldn't talk to an actor to save your life. And all those people can end up being a good director. Okay. And so but what we tend to look at is things like, if you watch Dune, you go like, wow, there's a visionary here. I yeah. see that you know, because you see it so viscerally and visually, yeah, yeah. you know, or if you watch uh, 
you know, the tragedy of Macbeth, you go like, oh man, there is choices being made that I can yeah. see. Yeah. Sometimes a director's job is to just understand the story and the characters and let them do what they have to do. And you just put the camera in the right place and no one to cut. And that's, yeah. and so like, I don't think this is a showy movie in terms of direction, but I think it, the, the hand is so sure of when to get your main character and to look at her face and understand what she is thinking yeah. or what she is seeing or what she is feeling to, to, cause, cause, and, and in particular, this is a movie I think that's really about choice. It's about, do I sacrifice and do what is necessary to help my family who I love, yeah. but give up on my dreams? And how does my family respond to that? And every, it, it, it's funny. Um, I remember we were, when we had David and Melania on to talk about Stephen Sondheim yeah, and they said that Sondheim's number one rule is clarity. Yeah. That's my number one rule too, is that's how my brain works is do you, is that every single moment is crystal clear in what's, yeah. what it's supposed to be. This yeah. movie is a perfect example. You are 100% with the characters. You understand them throughout the whole thing. You understand the choices that they're making. You yeah. understand what, what they're feeling and you feel it too. And so I think it's tremendous direction without being particularly aggressive or showy or anything like that, it does what a director is supposed to do, which is tell a story really, really well. Absolutely. Absolutely. I look forward to, for more from her um, oh, yeah. as a director down the road, for sure. Uh, let's take a look at the Oscars uh, before we wrap up here, the things that it's nominated for right now. It's nominated for Best Picture, Best Supporting Actor for Troy Couture, and Best Adapted Screenplay for Sean Hader. So, I mean, a lot, the, the buzz is building for CODA, Steve, where <clears throat> sorry, where do you sit on the um, uh, on the uh, I, what side do you sit on looking at Coda? Do you think it has a chance to pull the upset and win Best Picture? So, I, I will put my same my same uh, statement first. I always lose at the Oscar poll. <laughs> I strongly believe this is going to win Best Picture. Wow, strongly, and, okay, strongly. And here's okay. here's my reasoning is it really comes down to that uh, rank choice voting issue. Mm -hmm. Oh, because, yeah. Because I, I don't understand why people think Power of the Dog is going to win. I know it's got all this yeah. uh, momentum, and certainly we'll talk about it more in depth. But it, while I think it's a brilliantly made film across yeah. the board, top to bottom, I don't like it. And I can't imagine people going like, I want to watch that movie again. I love that film. You know, it's a difficult, <laughs> troubling film. Yeah. And so and so and there's a lot of kind of divisive films on the best picture list. You know, yeah. there you know West Side Story is going to get some votes mm -hmm. even though it's probably not going to win because it was so unsuccessful. Belfast is going to get some votes because yeah. it's you know like a lot of these movies are going to get a bunch of votes, which means that there is not going to be a film that has more than 50% after the first tally is taken. Right. And what happens is they dump the bottom and then they apply your second choice votes to another film. I think Coda is going to be more people's second choice wow. than any other film. And it's going to be the first choice for a fair amount of people. Right. That's what, because what other movie is, is going to be as universally yeah. liked, yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah. That's so that's my reasoning. Yeah. That's a good, uh, good, uh, good point here. It certainly, it won the, uh, and this is the interesting uh, awards that it's won the NAACP image awards. It won for the outstanding independent motion pictures, a uh, picture at SAG. It won the outstanding performance by cast in a motion picture. Certainly the organization I'm a part of Hollywood critics association. It won best picture as well. Uh, and then, and recently the critics choice awards, it won, uh, it was nominated for best picture 
And then, of course, as I said, producer Guild Awards last night, it won Best Picture as well. We shall see. Troy Kutsour seems to be the more, I think, the shoe-in to win this. He's been picking them up left and right lately. So do you think he's got the number one shot to win Best Supporting Actor here? It, 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 again, I suck at this, but I'd say he's a lock. Okay. A lock. Yeah, I mean, I, well, because you look at the other performances, uh, I don't think – I don't think J.K. Simmons should have been dominated. He, he's, to- he's totally good. I mean, the guy's yeah. a great actor. He's always yeah. good. Yeah. Um, I and the, you know the two nominations for Power of the Dog again, they're really good performances. Yeah, but this performance is a completely unique. We've never seen this. We've never seen anything like this performance, both in terms of being a deaf character, yeah, and in terms of a really interesting, fun, emotional totally unique person i mean yeah. my because i have the feeling i don't know if you have this feeling was i didn't feel like this was an actor i felt like this was yeah. just him very you know? natural yes agree totally and and he of course could be completely different i have no idea and, yeah. and the thing too is that you know let's there's never been a deaf male actor in this kind of a role in a film yeah. so like yeah. all of that conspires i think to make him real real likely to win yeah it, it's between him and cody smith mcphee for sure it's the it, and that's really the battle and i wonder which way the academy will go will it go with a younger actor that it wants to kind of encourage to do more or will it go with an older deaf actor who's had quite a, a career in theater and award the film and award him for the performance that he delivered so i for me personally <clears throat> i think it's going to go to cody smith mcphee but i would love it to go to troy because i just love what that would symbolize for the academy overall and i think it's a as well of a deserving performance as cody smith mcphee in my opinion for sure uh all right any final words as we wrap up here steve on coda well there's also uh the screenplay yes best adapted screenplay sorry do you think it's got a shot to win that uh to me it's in second place behind dune oh okay that's where and part of it again, it goes for as a as a writer, Dune has the higher degree of difficulty. Yes, adapted as in terms mammoth of mammoth yeah. novel. You're right about that. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah, I think that would be great. It'd be great to have Sean Hader have an Academy Award, even if she, if they don't win for Best Picture for her to have an Academy Award for Best Adapted Screenplay, I think would be fantastic for her and her career and for the movie itself. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, all right. Well, there you go. Let's jump in our uh, conversation here, revisiting uh, Coda and discussing its Oscar chances. Thanks so much for, for watching. For those who've been consistently watching this Oscar series, you know, just trying something new here on the Outlaw Nation. I'm very grateful that my Cinephiles co-host, Steve Morris, uh, agreed to join me for this as we have these fun 20 to 25 minute conversations about these movies, or at least I think they're fun. Steve, uh, tell people where they can find you and everything you got going on, my man. Uh, right below me is SR Morris for Twitter, SR Morris One for Instagram, the Cinephiles, of course, with my partner John Roca. We're in the midst of the season of Lee, and we just put out on Enterprise Incidents the Gamesters of Triskillion with our very, very, very special guest, Walter Koenig Chekhov, is on the show. The Wessel, Captain. The Wessel. Absolutely. So great yeah. to have Chekhov on Enterprise Incidents for you all. As for me, you can follow me at The Roca Says on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok, The Outlaw Nation on Twitch. And please remember to subscribe to the channel down below. Hit that subscribe button. Hit that bell button so you see when we're dropping all the content we do here on the Outlaw Nation channel. And we will continue to do these every day leading up to the Oscars ceremony on Sunday. And I will let you know if I'm doing a watch along on Twitch or on YouTube of the ceremony, but I will definitely be doing one of those uh, on Sunday. All right, y'all take care of yourselves. Be well, enjoy your Sunday, and we'll talk to you next time with another one of these best picture breakdowns in the Oscar series on the Outlaw Nation. Take care. Peace.